please join me today in our prayer of illumination. Heavenly Father, we come to you today asking that you give us the ability to listen to your word and understand the meaning of the scriptures that are read. Guide us spiritually so that we enjoy a closer walk with you. In Christ's holy name we pray, amen. The first reading today is from Galatians, verse 1, followed by verse 13 through 25. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. Ye shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is, is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, verses 15 through 20. So listen now for the word of God to the church. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and observing his commandments, decrees and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous 
And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish, and you shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As a kid, I was always drawn to the attractions at amusement parks where you got to drive the cars. I always wanted to ride those rides, and I became something of a connoisseur over the years. I figured out that there were some basic forms and designs, and through extensive personal experience, I determined that some forms were better than others. The first design, I think, is best represented by the Tomorrowland Speedway at Disney World. It was one of the original rides in the park. It dates all the way back to 1971. I think it's actually still there, which is remarkable because it was so boring. Now, it's boring because each car straddles a metal rail that goes right down the center of the track. You don't need to steer or really even hold the wheel. Just put your foot on the gas and the rail guides you around the track. The second form is what I, what I would refer to by reference to the Turnpike Cruisers attraction at Tweetsie Railroad in the North Carolina mountains. Now, there is no rail down the middle of this one, so the steering is much more realistic. However, the track is not very wide, and it's bounded on both sides by big, heavy red metal rails, so you can steer back and forth but you don't have much room on either side, so you can't really get into that much trouble. Now, the third and clearly most awesome design is what I would call the Myrtle Beach-style go-karts that have a pretty wide track. Now, guardrails are still provided on either side, but you have plenty of room to, well, get into plenty of trouble. Enough trouble that these rides have to have multiple attendants, brandishing whistles, giving warnings, and on occasion, tossing people off the ride if things get too out of hand. Now, these were the images that came to mind as I began to wrestle with the question for our second installment of the Questions to God sermon series. And that question this week is, why does God give us free will? Why does God give us the ability to steer ourselves, especially if that can get us into trouble? 
Why hold us accountable if God knows that we are inevitably going to sin and go astray? Now, for us Presbyterians, it's pretty much impossible to ponder the question of free will without bringing predestination into the question. If the free-for-all of the Myrtle Beach go-karts represents free will, then the Tomorrowland Speedway represents a world in which every part and every end is predestined with God even pushing the gas pedal for us as we ride that center rail inevitably toward our prescribed and predetermined end. Now, these two extremes are illustrated well by a famous debate from the 18th century between the Methodist luminary John Wesley and the Calvinist preacher George Whitfield. Now, the two men were college friends at Oxford, but their relationship was severely tested by an intense theological divide that arose between the two men during the Great Awakening. In 1740, Wesley preached a sermon sermon entitled Free Grace, in which he pretty much dismissed completely the idea that God predestines some people to heaven and others to hell, even before they are born. If that's true, Wesley argued, then all preaching is in vain. And what he meant by that was that if God presets the board with some predestined to win and others predestined to lose before the game even begins, then why play at all. Brilliant play would not matter because it could never change the outcome. Neither would cheating or foul play. If this were true, Wesley argued, then the whole purpose of the game would be rendered seemingly pointless. Therefore, Wesley could only conclude that predestination was not only false, but even blasphemous. It was, he said, a monstrous doctrine. A loving and compassionate God, Wesley said, must give human beings some measure of free will so we can choose the path of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Preaching just as passionately, Whitfield responded by defending the sovereignty of God. As the all-knowing, all-powerful creator and sovereign, God must know how the game will end. God created the game in the first place. And as humans, who are we to challenge the will of God? Who are we to think that we can change the mind of God with our actions? Even faith, Whitfield argued, is a gift of God. Thus, the only freedom that really matters is is God's freedom to choose us. Both positions have merit, and both are supported by Scripture. This is, I believe, why this question has never really gone away. Is it true that we as human beings are free to make decisions and that we are responsible for the choices, good and bad, that we make? Yes, it is. As Paul writes in Galatians, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. 
from the Spirit. The first psalm also describes life as a choice between two roads that diverge in a wood, one road that follows the ways of the wicked and leads to destruction, another that follows God's law and leads to life. That psalmist followed the admonition of today's reading from Deuteronomy, which begs us to choose life that we and our descendants might live. Now, is it also true that God is in control, that God has been and always will be in control? Absolutely. As the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my purpose shall stand, I will fulfill my intention. And as Jesus says in the final chapter of Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The purpose of the world is God's purpose, not ours. The will for our lives is God's will. Now, the pressure to choose one or of these truths or the other, I think, has frustrated countless Christians over the centuries. And that is why I will not push you to try and make a choice. Instead, I would encourage you to hold both of these truths in your heart and allow both of them to work for your benefit. I encourage you to envision these two ideas as guardrails for our faith. The idea on one side that the freedom we have to make choices and the fact that our choices do matter are critically important to the life of faith and the idea on the other side that God really is in control of this world and where we are going is also critical to our faith. So if we begin to veer too far to one side, thinking our salvation is completely up to us, that we have to somehow work and steer ourselves into faith, then the bumper of God's sovereignty is there to say, not so fast, little guy. You do not have ultimate control over this. As Paul writes, by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. On the other hand, if we drift too far to the other side, thinking that we don't really need to keep our hands on the wheel, that God is steering and controlling every move we make, then the bumper of free will reminds us that the choices that we make really do matter and have consequence. They matter a lot. So working together, free will and God's sovereignty can keep us safely on the road of faith. When Moses urges the people to choose life, it's a moment I like to think of that's similar to what Mountain climbers probably experience the night before they ascend the summit of Mount Everest. The Israelites have been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. 
And they have really made some spectacularly poor and terrible choices along the way. But God's grace and care has remained with them and somehow kept them on the road. Through cloud by day and fire by night, forgiving blatant idolatry and tolerating constant grumbling, God has guided the people and kept the covenant with them. The next morning, the people would ascend Mount Nebo and they would look down for the first time upon the vast land flowing with milk and honey that would be their new home. Moses' sermon to them spoke directly to the free will that they will exercise. Moses knew that the people, once they crossed the Jordan into that land of promise, could make good choices or bad choices and that a great deal hung in the balance of those choices. One of the best sermons I have ever heard focused on this sermon of Moses. It was given by an African-American preacher named James Galliard at a funeral for two young black boys who had been gunned down in a drug-related drive-by shooting. That tragedy was the terrible consequence of so many bad choices. And to a church packed with grieving and angry people, Galliard proclaimed this plea of Moses and sent it into a liminal moment for that community, a recognition that they all stood at a fork in the road. Choose life, he bellowed, so that you and your descendants may live. We face choices like this every day. In our current world, we're making choices about whether to meet together or not, about whether to wear masks or not, about whether we need need to heed scientific warnings or not. Moses' words are still echoing against purple mountain majesties and above fruited plains, entreating us to choose life. And if we want to look at this in terms of freedom, then the Apostle Paul takes his place beside Moses and adds his refrain to that sermon, yes, you are free, for freedom Christ has set us free. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but instead through love become slaves to one another. We're also free to choose life, not only for ourselves, but for all people, no matter what their ethnicity or skin color may be. We can choose whether we will bravely name the injustices of the past and accept some complicity in bad choices that we ourselves have made, or we can choose to vilify and blame those who have been oppressed in ways that we have not previously named or understood. And as we make these kinds of choices, we would be wise to remember again the preaching of Paul, who said that Christian freedom is not about doing whatever we want to do. Christian freedom is instead the liberty to align ourselves more completely with God. 
and to choose freely and fully to love one another as Christ has loved us. Which brings us back to two old college friends, John and George. They spent their lives on opposite sides of the road, John standing firmly on the rail of free will, George standing just as firmly on the rail of God's sovereignty and predestination. And through their lives, they made their choices and they took the consequences, but through it all, God's sovereign love was at work in both of their lives and in both of their hearts. And somehow the love between these two combatants never died. When one of George Whitfield's followers angrily quipped to the preacher, well, we won't be seeing old John Wesley in heaven, will we, George? Whitfield responded, yes, you're right. We won't see him in heaven. He will be so close to the throne of God, and we will be so far away that we will not be able to see him. And when Whitfield died, the preacher for his funeral was none other than the Reverend John Wesley. Standing over the casket of his lifelong friend, Wesley spoke these affectionate words. How few have we known of so kind a temper, of such large and flowing affections. Can anything but love beget love? Through it all, despite a lifetime of choices that worked to pull them apart, God worked to keep them together, and God kept them and their friendship safely on the road. So is it free will or predestination? The answer is yes. I don't know how to choose, So I choose instead to be grateful for the bumpers that push us back to the center of the road whenever we veer too far in either direction. We are neither trapped by rails that negate our freedom, nor are we left completely to our own devices as we speed perilously along a deadly cliffside path. Instead, God has given us the best of both worlds and contained us safely and securely within the guardrails of our faith. Thanks be to God. Amen.